you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I pray you're doing well. My name is Mark Blair. My wife, Ty, and I serve as the lead pastors here at Sozo. It is an honor and a privilege to have each and every one of y'all with us. Parents, your kids are back in school. There is a God. Come on. Um, back to school season. We, we, we are in full swing now, uh, moving into back to school. I always kind of love the fact that the, the schools nicely ease us back into uh, stealing our children from us. Take them away for a few days and then give us a three-day weekend with them. We love it. Uh, welcome to Labor Day weekend at Sozo. We're glad you're here. Um, we're jumping back into our series, as you can probably guess from that bump video, uh, that you may believe, looking at the Gospel of John. I am ridiculously excited about what we get to touch on today. Get to sort of pick up on where we've been and, and move forward a little bit from there. Um, We've been studying the Gospel of John because John said he wrote this Gospel. He gave us this account of the life and the work and the teachings of Jesus so that anyone who reads it might come to believe, might come to trust in, might come to rely upon Jesus, might come to see that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the Son of God, and he came to do what he said he, he, he came to do, which is to save the world. Amen? That he, he is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, and that by putting our trust, our faith, our assurance, our reliance upon him and his completed work and his identity, everything, we don't just say that to use a word, we mean everything changes because of that, amen? Our lives, our identity, our purpose, everything shifts when we see Jesus properly. And so we've been taking uh, some time sometime, and uh, making our way through this amazing gospel. Uh, we're, we're about a year in now. We've got about another three or four to go, and we're excited about that. Amen? Yeah. Even if you're not, just say amen. Just, just go with it, because you might as well. Um, so, so we're, we're going we're gonna to jump in here uh, really quick. We're just going to read the text. Uh, we've been in this account of the, known as the woman at the well. Uh, John chapter 4. If you've got a Bible or a computer or a phone with the Bible on it and you want to turn to John chapter 4, we're going we're gonna to skip over the conversation because we've been there so much and I need to get us after it, but we're going to start in John chapter 4, verse, verse 4, and then end in verse 45, but we'll skip the middle. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and stand to your feet. If you don't, go ahead and stand to your feet. Read off your neighbors um, or read off the Sky Bible. I promise to read what's in the Bible. Amen? Awesome. This is John chapter 4. Starting in verse four, it says, he, who is the he here? There you go. See, you're always in church. You can always just say Jesus. 99.72% of the time, you'll be right. Uh, and he, that is Jesus. Come on, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. Says that he had to pass through Samaria. We'll get to that in a minute. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was, from his journey. Highlight, circle, underline that. We're going to come back to that today. That is massively important. If you don't believe in writing in your Bible, it's okay. Just turn to your neighbor, neighbor and write in theirs. Um, it says, weary as he was from his journey, he sat beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. We've gone over this about noon. 
Six hours about noon. Verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Very important verse here. Seems like a throwaway verse. Seems like a throwaway statement, but it's massively important for where we're going today. Now let's go ahead and jump ahead to verse 25. Fly on down to verse 25. says this, the woman said to him, so they have this conversation, we'll go over it in case you missed it, we'll go over what it says, but now they've had this conversation, and we pick it up at the end, it says, and she said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For, they, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor Many Samaritans from, their, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they, they, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many who believed, and many more believed because of his words. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Highlight, circle, underline that. It'll be important later. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Let's pray together, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you that you're, you, you did not leave us here uh, without your word, but that you generously, graciously, from your goodness that we so, so, so joyfully uh, proclaimed and sung about today, you, you in your goodness gave us your word. And so we come to your word this morning, God, not, not like we come to other books, not like we come to other studies, not like we come to other teachings, but we come to your word knowing that it is just that. It is your word and that it is living and that it is active, that it's alive, that it possesses the ability to, to, to cut through all of our distractions and all of our arguments and all of our disbelief and, and to come straight to the core of who we are. God, we ask for that kind of encounter this morning, that you would breathe life upon your word, that it might come into us, that it might break through, and it might find a place to rest within our hearts, that it might transform the way we think, that we might leave this place 
knowing the joy, knowing the hope, knowing, knowing the power that comes from living our lives in obedience to you that the world might know your goodness and your glory and your majesty. Don't let us leave this place the same as we came in. Let us leave differently, Lord, that we might transform this world to answer your prayer, to answer the prayer that you called us to pray, that the, the kingdom might come, that your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Come on, everybody said? Amen. High five at least six people and go ahead and grab a seat. Some of y'all were like hugging each other. That's just, that's just crazy. Y'all need to calm down. Um, I love this story. I love this passage. I've, I've, I've been, I've been, we've been lingering in it for a while, and I feel like we need to sort of to, 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 to get to the next step in this. But before we, before we can do that, I want to just make sure we're all on the same page together. I know it's been summer, so I know maybe some of us have missed some of this. We've, we've pointed out that Jesus is on a mission of redemption. Amen. Listen real fast, I'm gonna talk real fast through this part. He, he's on a mission of redemption. This statement that he makes that Jesus had to go to Samaria, that the only reason that we can find for the, the God who created and sustains all things to need anything, come on, amen? The only reason we can find for, for a God who, who, who created and sustains all things to need anything is because he says that his purpose, his goal, is to simply do whatever the Father tells him to do. So in saying he needed to go, that means he was sent there. He didn't just wander there, Amen? Come on, we believe that you are where you are because that's where God has placed you. Like it, love it, or hate it, you are where you are because that's where God has placed you, amen? He's, he's working something in you because he wants to work something through you in that place. And so Jesus says he needed to go here. He's on a mission of redemption. What, what's he trying to redeem? We've pointed out he's trying to redeem a place by redeeming a people, by redeeming a person. It all boils down to one person, but it's bigger than just that one person. Do you see that? Do you see that the way that, that relationship happens here? It's not just about her, but it's all about her. <laughs> so he meets this woman. He meets a woman who's the, the wrong woman, right? She's, she's the wrong gender. She's from the wrong people. She's got the wrong background, and yet Jesus doesn't seem to care. He came there for her. He came there to encounter her. He came there so that she, come on, more accurately could encounter him. And so he goes, he walks through this amazing conversation. Don't have time to get there. You can listen to the podcast, but here's the summary. He reveals her true need. He, he shows her the, the father. He teaches her about true worship, and he unveils his true identity to her. Can, can we just sum all that up? Y'all who've listened to a few of them, can, is that a good summary? Can we just kind of encapsulate that? He, he, he walks her through all these things. It's a long conversation. In fact, we've pointed out it's the longest single dialogue that Jesus has in all the Gospels. I don't know about you, but that, that kind of that messes with the religious part of my brain. Jesus talks, the longest conversation he has, number one is with a woman. Number two is with a woman with the wrong kind of background. Hello, somebody. And number three, from the wrong side of town. And he doesn't care. That's who he, that's who he chooses to interact with. That's who he chooses to have this encounter with. So because of this, this, this thing happens. Jesus imparts to her a new identity that brings about new capacity in her. 
She goes from avoiding. We, we, we've touched on this, but she's, she's going to this, to this well to draw all the water she'll need for an entire day. That's the way it worked in the society at this time. You had to go. You had a, a place where there was water. You drew all that water out. You drew all the water you needed for the day. Well, she's going at the wrong time of day. It's the middle of the day in, 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 in a place where it's essentially just like a heat lamp over a kitty litter box. And she's choosing to go in the hottest part of the day. Biblically speaking, heat lamp, kitty litter box. It's, just go with it. And, and, and so she, she's at the wrong part of the day. Why is she going at the wrong part of the day? We, we can infer, we don't have direct things here, but we can infer from her background, from her past, that she doesn't want to be around people. Well, she goes from wanting to avoid everybody to being the one who's appealing to her, to her city. She's appealing to all of those who she used to try to avoid from one encounter with Jesus. And so, so, so at, at the same time, we have juxtapositioned the disciples who we can infer went into this same town, same town to go buy food, right? They've been walking, they've been traveling, they, they left a successful, booming ministry in, in Judea. They're baptizing people. Jesus is getting popular. They're probably thinking, sweet, we voted for the right rabbi, Everybody likes him, the crowds are getting bigger, the offerings are up, this is success. And in the middle of that, Jesus goes, we're gonna leave and we're gonna go to a place that no one's supposed to go. We're gonna leave the big city, first off, we're gonna go to Galilee, which is like the back country, and oh, by the way, we're gonna, go, we're gonna walk through what y'all consider to be the ghetto to get there. Everybody else goes around it, we're gonna walk right through it. In the middle of it, we're gonna go ahead and stop. And so they're there, and so obviously, that here's the town we can infer, right? That that's where the disciples went to go buy food. So here's my big question. As I read through this, as I actually honestly try to read through this, how is it that the disciples can have no impact on this city while this woman, after one conversation with Jesus, can have such a profound impact? I mean, we know at least like 12 people went into this town, right? We don't know how many disciples Jesus has at this point. We don't. We know that by chapter six, just a few chapters away, he's got huge crowds following him. So, so we can say maybe half a dozen, a dozen, 20, 30 of, of Jesus' disciples. Man, they've been hanging out with him. They've been baptizing people for him. And they go into the city, nothing. They go in, they come out, city's the same. This lady goes in because of one conversation she's had with Jesus and the city is turned upside down. So, so, so how is it that this happens? If, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. I want to talk to you, talk to you this, this morning about the, the problem and the prescription. The problem and the prescription. So we're, we're, going, to move, we're going to move through this here this morning. I want to talk to you first about, about the problem. Let, let's, let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about the problem. Because, again, we, we've got these disciples who, who really, I mean, if we're honest, they're, they're, catch this, please. Ultimately, you could say, that all of the Christians in the world went into this town. The, the totality of the Christian nation just descended upon one city and had no impact. Anybody else kind of ouch that a little bit, just a little bit? So what's the problem? Why, why, why is it that they didn't have an impact here? And so we're gonna, we're gonna move into here real fast and I wanna walk through this as quickly as we can. But I think part of it was that they were, they were preoccupied. They were preoccupied. Show of hands, how many of you go grocery shopping? Okay. How many of you 
How many of you are the type of person you have a list, maybe it's mental, maybe it's on your phone, maybe you're old school like me, you actually still write with your, you know, a pencil, and you write stuff down, you have a list, and so you know, like, you know where it is, you know how to get there, you know how to avoid the slow people, you are in, you get your stuff, you are out. How many of you are like that? How many of you, on the other hand, think that it's like an exploration of a new land every time you go to the grocery store and you've got to walk up and down every aisle because maybe there's a new kind of quinoa. You don't know. And so you got to go down. How many, you even go down the hardware aisle. Come on, the mission people don't even know there is a hardware aisle at the grocery store because we don't go there for that. So we don't even know about that aisle. So we go, how, here's the rook. So how many of you are like that? You, you're the wanderers, right? How many of you? Married to somebody who's the exact opposite, so you can't go grocery shopping with them, right? Maybe we need to get a marriage class going this fall, <laughs> help some people out. The disciples are the mission people, right? They are preoccupied. They've got a goal. They've got a purpose. We're going into town to get food, to get out. That's why we're here. We're focused. I also think, though, they're a little pretentious. They're a little pretentious. They, they, they're a little, let me, let me use less of a $6 word. They're a little self-centered. They're kind of focused on their, themselves right now. This is, this, is, this is what we're here to do. That I, I have my needs. I'm upset. I'm, they're, they're a little hangry, okay? And, and they've, they've, gotta, they, they, they've got to get some food. I also wonder, and I hate to put this on the disciples, but I wonder, I just wonder. I got no textual evidence for this, so ignore this if you want. But I wonder if they're a little upset at Jesus at this point. Because you gotta realize that they had, they'd left everything to go follow Jesus. They'd abandoned their lives, they'd abandoned their, 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 their jobs, their families to go follow Jesus. And for a season, it was working. For a season, things were going pretty good. Again, crowds are bigger, offerings are up, butts and seats, nickels and noses, everything. The charts all going in the right direction. And, and you gotta realize that they're, they're getting a little famous at the same time. Because the Bible says that, that Jesus was baptizing people, but he actually wasn't baptizing people. They were getting to baptize people. They kinda had a prominent spot here. And now all of a sudden Jesus uproots them and says we're gonna go on a, on a trip. And oh, by the way, he even forgot to, to pack a, a, a Lunchable for him. So now they got to wander into a Samaritan city that filled with people they don't even like and go buy food. What's going on? Could it be that they're a little, they're a little, they're a little pretentious? Also, bluntly, just being real, they're prejudiced. It's clear from the text that, that Jews of this time, which all the disciples would have been, did not have dealings, did not talk with, walk with, look at, or interact with Samaritans. So they're a little perturbed that they got to go into a Samaritan town to go buy food. They're prejudiced, they're, they're, they're bigots, they're segregationists, they're racist. Do I need to talk to y'all about racism still? Or have all the racist people left the church? Because <laughs> I tell them they're going to hell. They are, it's in the Bible. <laughs> y'all are looking at me like you don't. First John says, if you claim to love God and yet you hate your brother, the truth is not in you. Mark Blair paraphrased. If you're racist, you're going to hell. That's just the simplest way I can put it. So that, that's, that's part of their problem. They don't want to interact with these people. They don't want to have anything to do with them. Also, they're, they're a little pompous. They're, they're, they're Christ followers. They're Jews. They're the ones that are following Jesus. They got, they got better things to do than deal with these lowly people. And lastly, I think they're procrastinators. 
They got time. We can do it tomorrow. We're just kind of getting started. We don't really need to worry about in this stuff. So ultimately, the disciples failed to have an impact because they were preoccupied. They were pretentious. They were prejudiced. They were pompous. Procrastinators. In essence, they were just like us. <laughs> yeah, y'all are like, yeah, disciples are bad. I don't know about you, but when I read this, it's just like, ouch, 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 ouch. It's just like a giant mirror showing you exactly what you look like when you first wake up in the morning. It's who they were. It's who we can be. But here's, here's what I want us to hear, that there is grace to not be this way. There is grace for transformation. There is grace for a shift. And I believe Jesus gives us the prescription in his conversation with the disciples as they come back. I think there, there can be a shift. There can be a, a fixing of this, of this problem in our heart based upon what Jesus teaches. Does anybody want to know the prescription or are you just good with going home at the problem? Okay, cool. So Jesus is on a mission, right? I want to just get all the cards on the table. I think we're supposed to be on the mission too. I don't think we're saved just so that we can escape judgment. I think we are reconciled to God, brought into the family so that we too can be a part of the family business. So that we too can be a part of, of all that God is, is doing in and through the earth. And so, so, so the prescription isn't just to make you feel better about your problem. The prescription is to actually get us off of the bench and into the game. I promise that's the only sports analogy I'll use because it's the only one I'm sure is accurate. I know it's accurate because I rode the bench a lot. All right. First thing is we've got to change our provision. We've got to change our provision. Verse 32, Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. They're hungry, right? They're depleted. So they have an excuse. Well, I'm hungry. I don't, I don't have the energy to do this. I just feel drained right now. Jesus says, you don't understand. There's a source, there's a provision that you are, you are unaware of that's available to you. There, there, is, there, is a, there is a resource that you can tap into that goes past just the natural realm that you live in. Listen, if you're, if you're someone here who claims to be a follower of Christ and you wanna have everything just be boiled down to the physical, practical world you live in, you are missing out on a gigantic portion of the life of the believer. There is an unseen realm, listen to me, that is more real than the seen realm that we live in. And Jesus here is saying, that's where I'm finding my capacity to do this. That's where I'm finding my ability. And I, I, I underline that, that line that he was weary. There's this weird thing that happens that I wanna be honest about when we talk about getting on the, getting on the field, getting, getting into the mission, being a part of what God is doing in and through the earth today. It will both, listen to me, it will both exhaust you and energize you at the same time. And see, all, all preachers want to talk about is how exciting it is. <laughs> but come on, how many of you know it's, it, it, it wears you out too? Jesus was weary from obeying the Father. Listen, that's okay. It's okay to be tired. But what Jesus is saying is that as we press through that tired, listen, as we press through that tired, there's an energizing that happens as we obey the Father as well. 
And see, all they're focusing on is what it's costing them and what he's showing them is that it's actually feeding them at the same time. We've gotta change our provision. We gotta, we gotta stop looking, listen, I love you. We've gotta stop looking for the applause and the praises of people. And we've gotta just start saying, no, no, I'm here to be obedient to the Father. Whatever he calls me to do, I'm just gonna do it. Whatever he says to me. Come on, does bringing the Father glory and joy, does that motivate you? Or do we need some other thing to motivate us? Do we need some other thing to be our provision? Next, we've got to change our perception. We've got to change our perception. I'm going to spend some time here for a minute. We've got to change our perception. Verse 35, he says, he says that, that the field, come on, is white for harvest. I, I believe we're often ignorant of when we are. I think we're often ignorant. We are unaware of the season that we are in. We are oblivious to what's really going on around us. We don't, we don't see it. We have a wrong perception of everything. We think there's still, there, there, we're in one season when in reality we're in another. We're waiting for things that Jesus is saying, they're here now. They're ready now. But our perception is off. The way that we perceive the world will ultimately affect the way that we interact with the world. I worked for a season in my life at, at Nordstrom. And one of the things that you're taught at Nordstrom, maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, if you, if you ever shop at Nordstrom, they, they have a very generous, a very liberal return policy. Because their goal, they, they teach you when you work there, is, is happy customers. They want loyal, happy customers. And so you're allowed to, to bend a lot of the rules and change a lot of things. And one of the things that you, you were taught in helping people deal with stuff, because sometimes customers get angry. Anybody ever worked in customer service? Once in a while, occasionally, never Christians, um, but they, they get a little, a little upset, a little hard to deal with. And one of the things you learn is that a person's perception of reality is the only reality they know how to interact with. And when our perception is that there's no harvest, we will not be at work in the harvest. If our perception is that everything's just getting horrible and awful and everything's just going from worse to worse, from worse to worse, and you know, we just might as well just hold on for the end and hope Jesus eventually vacuum sucks us out of here in a rapture, then maybe that's the best we can do. And we just gotta hold on till the end. Then we're gonna have one kind of attitude. But Jesus says, no, the, the, the harvest is ready. Thinking about this perception thing, I was reminded this week of, of a quote from a, from a Marine, always good to quote Marines, right? Yeah. Marines are good to quote. Military people, good to quote. Um, this is amazing. His name was Lewis Puller. He was known as Chesty because he had this big barrel chest. He's one of the most decorated uh, Marines in history. And uh, he was the commander of the 1st Marine Regiment. And one day during the Korean conflict at this point, they were, they were hedged in, they were protecting a reservoir, and all of a sudden they were surrounded by enemy troops, literally surrounded. And here, here's what he says when his troops come to him. They say, he said, they are in front of us, behind us, and are flanking on both sides by an enemy that outnumbers us 29 to one. They can't get away from us now. <laughs> The story goes that the person who delivered this message to him said, I don't think you understand. They're everywhere. His response to that was, great, then we can shoot in every direction. <laughs> Come on, that's the kind of attitude. Come on, church, that we need to have. 
People say the world is getting darker. Great, then it doesn't take very much light to light up a dark room. Come on, it doesn't take a whole lot to, to, to push into the darkness a little bit. You don't gotta be the brightest light in the world. You don't gotta be the brightest Christian. I don't mean it that way. But <laughs> just a little bit, just a little, you can be pretty dim and still have an impact. This is getting worse. Um, <laughs> I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. The darkness of the world is not the dark's fault, it's the light's fault. If the world is getting darker, it's because lights aren't shining. Not because dark is getting darker. So we gotta change, come on, we gotta change our perception. The fields are white. Let me get this real practical. When, when, when we talk about let's, let's go out and let's be inviting people to come in to church. Let's be out there sharing our testimony. Let's be out there sharing the reality of the gospel. You can either go into that thinking that, the, that nobody is gonna be interested or you can go in there knowing that you have the greatest news in the world. This marries with the next point and, and I'm using two words that are very similar in meaning and I need you to kind of realize the difference. I'm saying here we need to change our perception. We need to, we need to change the, the way we see, but then we also need to change our perspective. We need to change the angle from which we see. He says, lift your eyes. Are we only thinking about, about life on one plane? Are we willing to sort of be, be lifted up a little bit higher? Or are we so addicted to staring at our own belly buttons? Are we, so, are, we so, are we so obsessed with, with the terrestrial that we are missing out on the eternal? Jesus says you gotta lift your eyes. Verse 35, you gotta lift your eyes. Constant focus on the terrestrial will cause us to miss out on the eternal. Let me put that real simple. If we focus on earthly problems, we will miss out on heavenly purpose. Did they need food? Yeah, they need, we, we need food. How many of you are glad we need food? I like food. Food is my friend. They needed food. But there was a greater need in front of them that because of their, listen to me, because of their perspective, they missed. Jesus here is trying to tell them, you gotta lift your eyes. You gotta trade your earthly cares for some heavenly joy. You gotta shift some of this in our thinking. We gotta adjust some of this. This, this is what I find awesome. So they're out. Got, got, to, got to set the stage here a little bit. The town is off in the distance somewhere, right? Usually within walking distance of the well. That's where towns were built near water. So we can make the not huge leap to say that this town was in walking distance, probably even viewing distance, right, of where they were. So Jesus is there talking to the woman. His disciples come out of the town and come to him, sort of weirded out by the fact he's talking to a lady, but everyone just kind of keeps their mouth shut because he's Jesus, she goes back into the town. They're having this dialogue. Follow the text. He says, lift up your eyes for the fields are white for harvest at the same moment that the town is coming out to meet Jesus. He's trying to show them, you guys went into this place, but because, listen, because of... <laughs> Because you had the wrong, you were looking for strength in the wrong place, you saw things wrong from the wrong angle, you missed all that. One testimony from one woman caused the town to come out and meet Jesus. 
Come on, guys, you got to lift up your eyes. You've got to lift up your eyes. No more navel-gazing, no more self-pity. we got to start valuing people, amen? Next, we got to change our prize. Why are we doing what we're doing? we got to change our prize. Verse 34, my food, he says, is to do the will of the Father. Verse 37, he says, the sower and the reaper rejoice together. Where's our joy come from? He said, I love food. Not going to lie, really love food. That's not true. I love good food. I abhor bad food because bad food is bad. But there's greater joy than what we eat. I love my family, but there's a greater joy that can come than just being with my family. I love the church, but there's a greater joy that can come to the life of the believer than just attending church. There's a mission that we're called to be a part of. And Jesus is inviting us, listen to me, into, into not just labor. Did we talk about the fact that it will wear you out? But did we also talk about the fact that it will energize you? Not denying this. What I'm saying is there is a greater joy. When Jesus invites us into the mission of God in the earth, it's him inviting us into finding a deeper, more satisfying, more genuine joy than we can have when we're not in the field, when we're not a part of the mission. I used to say this when I was a youth pastor. I'll say it to you as well. Anyone who thinks the Christian life is boring is boring themselves. It is not boring. You're boring. Because when we refuse to actually engage in that which, is, that which is designed to bring about the joy in our lives, come on somebody, we can't then complain that there's no joy in this. Jesus says you gotta change your prize. What, what is the goal? What is the champion? What is the, what is the victory look like in your life? Is it, is, it, is it filling up a bigger house with more stuff than you, that you don't need? Is it just, are we just punching a clock so that are we just sort of making our way through stuff so that we can say that we have stuff? Are we just trying to, are we just trying to work, the, work the system so that we can end our life with lots of stuff? Or are we living our lives with the prize being the joy that is set before us of rejoicing with heaven as, as we see, come on, lost people coming into an encounter with Jesus Let's rejoice together. Let's make that our prize. And here's another one I'm gonna spend a little time on. We gotta change our paradigm. We have to change our paradigm. I think that this town of Samaria, to be honest, was more convinced of something than disciples were. And that is this simple statement, that Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus says that he was sent to save the world. In a couple years, we're gonna get to the end of John where he tells the father, I have accomplished, that wasn't a joke, I have accomplished that which you sent me to do. On the cross, Jesus makes this statement, it is, but do we live that way? Or do we live believing that we serve the savior of the world? Not the potential savior, not the future savior, the present, risen, ruling savior. Already won. But Christians walk around acting like we're on the losing team of losers who lose. 
all the time. That's what we do. We just lose. No, we win. I'm not talking about bigger houses and more money and more crap. I'm talking about we are victorious over the darkness. We are victorious. Even when it looks like we lose, we live in a paradigm that says we're not losing because there's a reality beyond the physical reality that we can see with our, our five senses and interact with, with these bio body suits that we presently inhabitate. And we, we can realize there's something beyond all of that. There's something bigger. Jesus has overcome. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, according to 1 John 5, 4. But we, if we don't have that paradigm, when we walk into a city, then we just buy the stuff we need, we just avoid the awkward people, we roll the windows up when the homeless people are by the car, we ignore that guy at work because uh, we don't talk to those people in the grocery store. We don't engage with the world around us because that might infect us somehow because we're the losing team of losers who lose. But if we serve a ruling savior, If we serve a God who rules and reigns, who actually has already saved the world, just that one shift will change the way you interact with people. When you realize he's already done it, he's already accomplished it. I've shared this before, but there's, there's an account, just Military Sunday, there's an account of, 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 a, of a Vietnamese soldier who got separated from his group and ended up uh, up in the mountains, and he was fighting and the Vietnam War ended, but he didn't have any way to communicate, and so he thought the war was still going on. And so if I have my dates right in my head, it was sometime in the mid-90s when they finally convinced him to come down. How many of you realize he didn't have any hope of actually winning that fight? The battle was already over. Here's what I'm telling you. The, the lost people that you interact with are that guy up in the tree. The best, most kind thing we can do is to just walk up to them and say, listen, you already lost. Just come down peacefully and go quietly. Let's just come along. But is that the paradigm that we work from? Is that, the, is that the paradigm that we enter into this interaction with? Or do we walk into this already thinking that the battle is lost to us and that this is all just going downhill fast? We've got to shift our paradigm. We've got to shift our paradigm. The world belongs to Jesus. I'm going to say that again because y'all didn't hear me. The world belongs to Jesus. He built it and he bought it. It's his. And now he sets before us the joy of going out and, uh, and announcing that good news. That he sets right everything that is broken. That he removes everything that is wicked. That by coming to him, everything is made right. That's our message. And we act like as believers that that is laborious to go out and be a part of. Jesus here is saying there's gotta be a shift. There's gotta be a paradigm shift. Come on, we have good news. Come on, amen? We have good news. There's one last, that, that, that was the message. That was it. And this morning as I was just praying and thinking Meditating upon this, I, I realized that I missed 
one huge aspect of this. That I think if we miss this part, we'll, we'll spend all of our time trying to change. Right? That's what I just told you. We've got to change this and change that and change this. Here's what I need you to see. That both the problem and the prescription was one of proximity. Both the problem and the prescription was one of proximity. What do I mean by that? Their problem, and I'd never, I'm gonna be honest, how, how many of you have this experience? You read the Bible, you read the Bible, you read the Bible, and then all of a sudden it's like God edits the Bible while you're reading it? You're like, I, that wasn't there before. <laughs> Here's what I've taught you in weeks gone by, that Jesus sent his disciples into the town to buy food. It's not what it says. I read it to you today because I realized this week that I was wrong. Verse eight. Let's see if I can throw it back up here real fast. I can do it. Yeah, we can. There we go. Verse eight. Verse eight. For his disciples had what? Disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Jesus didn't send them there. They sent themselves there. See, the problem was one of proximity. They left Jesus to go buy food. We say this a lot around here. Your problem is not your problem. Your proximity is your problem. Your awareness of your closeness to him. So, of course, they go into a city and fail because they didn't take Jesus with them. See, their job, we, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, their job, their full-time job as disciples was to be with their rabbi. To the point at which at this point in history, literally uh, good Jewish disciples of a rabbi would, would try to walk like, talk like, eat like, read like, dress like their rabbi. There's even stories of, of, of disciples in the first century following rabbis who had a limp from an injury and all of the disciples limping with them like that. I remember this, this is, this is true of a lot of us. We, we, we end up doing this following the people we like. I remember being in youth ministry uh, in, in Montana. It's where we met John and Lindsay before they were John and Lindsay, back when they were just John and Lindsay. And, and John was on the worship team and, and he, he always stood on one particular side of the worship team. At this point in John's life, for some reason that you can ask him about, he always wore black Hurley shirts. He's shaking his head at me like he doesn't want me to tell the story. He always wore black Hurley shirts, like all the time. He had lots of them, but he always wore black Hurley shirts. And, and wouldn't you know, uh, a, couple, a couple weeks, maybe a month or two into to John being on the platform and always standing on that side of the, of the stage and playing guitar and looking like a rock star, he was always standing over there. And wouldn't you know, this little herd of junior high boys started gathering around in front of of, of John, and guess what all of them were wearing? <laughs> Black Hurley shirts. And they weren't just wearing them, they were going like this. <laughs> I had parents come to me going like, why do I need to buy my kid a Black Hurley shirt? I'm like, you don't. Like, they came to me and said that I need to take them to the store and buy them a Black Hurley shirt. I'm like, I have no idea. And then I realized, they all think John is really, they all know John is really cool. <laughs> And they want to be like it. That, 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 was, that, was, that was what the, the disciple-rabbi relationship looked like at this point in history. So these guys were breaking the rules, listen to me, leaving their rabbi to go into town to buy food. We're going to talk about this more next week because I think there's a lot here that we need to get into. But I need you to realize that they did not change, listen, and then Jesus came. So that was the problem, that they, they were out of proximity, right? We touched on that. They were out of proximity. That was the problem. 
but it was also the prescription. None of this gets set right until Jesus steps back in. And here's the goodness, here's the gloriousness, here's the graciousness of Jesus. He doesn't demand that they fix the problem so that he can come back. He comes back to fix the problem. See, religion tells you, you gotta fix all this stuff so that Jesus can be a part of what you're doing. But here's what I'm, I'm trying to tell you. you. You can't fix any of this. You can't, you can't change your provision, your perception, your perspective, your prize, or your paradigm unless Jesus is with you. You are, <laughs> prepare yourself for great news. You are hopeless without Jesus. Believe it or not, that is really good news because he does not withhold himself from you. Every other religion says, fix your junk and then God will be a part of you. Get all your ducks in a row and then maybe God can use you. Here's what the gospel says. Jesus wants to be with you. I don't know about you, but that's not what I was taught. I was maybe taught that Jesus wanted to use me, but not just be with me. Jesus is essentially trying to tell them, why did you leave here? Y'all thought you had all this stuff to do. Stop and realize for a second, all of these people were about to come out and meet Jesus. Do you really think that there was going to be a need that they were going to have, listen to me, that was not going to be able to be fulfilled? The town literally comes out to Jesus and literally begs him to stay. If they would have stayed, if they would have waited, if they would have stopped trying to think they needed all this stuff and just been with Jesus, they would have had a front row seat for the transformation that this woman experienced. And they would have been there where they were supposed to be to welcome these people as they flooded forth to meet Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. I think we're going to spend some time on this next week. I'm just going to be honest. I think there's more here for us to, to see. But right now, I really feel strongly that there are some people here. Man, I'm, here's the problem let you into the preacher mind here for a second. Here's the problem that I know happens when I talk about stuff like this. Talk about getting in the field, sharing our faith, being open with Jesus, being a part of the gospel mission of God in the earth. All of you who are already doing it feel convicted because you feel like you should be doing it more or better. And all of you who aren't doing it think I'm not talking to you. I love you. This is just the reality. If I talk about tithing, everyone who's already giving is like, oh, I should really be giving more. And everybody who's not tithing is thinking they should really be giving more. I feel like there are some people here this morning and you are, you are putting your shoulder to the plow. You are actively engaged in an, in an effort to try to be a, a physical representation of the gospel everywhere you go, and it's wearing you out, and you're, all you're hearing is do more, do more, do more, and here's what you need to hear. Stop and rest. Just be with Jesus. 
wherever you are, just be with Jesus. Let everything come out of you just being in Jesus. Christ in you, the Bible says, is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope, not you doing lots of stuff for Jesus. We're not trying to get Jesus elected. He is the ruling monarch of the earth. Stop campaigning for Jesus. I, I, get, I get the point, but these I voted for Jesus stickers, I'm like, he was never up for election. This morning, I just feel like some people need to hear this one simple word, rest. Just rest in him. Just rest in him. Stop trying to fix things. Stop trying to change everything. Stop thinking that you are the decisive one. You're the dependent one. He's the decisive one. Do you get what that means? That means your job is to just be as absolutely dependent on him as possible. Let him be the decisive one. I really feel like God, God was, is trying to woo some people back into proximity. Maybe there's a season in your life where just being with him was the most important thing to you and, and that slipped a little bit. You, you've gotten caught up in some other cares and concerns in life. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is just here this morning to just woo you back into that restful proximity with him. Just abide in him, just rest in him. Others of you, I, I honestly feel like, man, there, there, is, there are some things that, that Jesus has called you to do. And I, again, I have no evidence of this scripturally, but I wonder how many disciples refused to go with Jesus from Judea up to Galilee. I wonder how many of them just wanted to stay where the crowds were big, just wanted to stay where it was comfortable, just wanted to stay where it was easy. They heard the itinerary that we're gonna go through Samaria and they thought, mm, I'll catch you on the flip side. Some of us, man, we, we, need to, we need to rest in Jesus looks like following Jesus. So this morning, as we prepare to respond, as we prepare to sing, to celebrate Jesus, as we prepare to, to, to spend some time in contemplation, just thinking about what it is that God is calling us to and where he might be challenging us, as we prepare to commune with God through, through the sacrament of communion, through partaking in communion, through antiquation, taking a piece of bread or wafer and dipping it in the cup, as we prepare to make ourselves vulnerable to other believers and ask them to pray for us, I wanna just encourage us to, to, to open up our hearts right now in this moment and ask Jesus, where, where am I at? For each and every person here, you need to hear this. Your problems cannot be fixed by you. <laughs> Sounds really mean. You have really big issues. If you could have fixed your problems, you would have fixed them by now. But your problems, listen to me please, are custom designed by a loving savior to be too big for you to fix so that you are forced to come to him for the solution. Because listen to me, he does not have your solution, he is your solution. He is what you need. And you don't gotta straighten up and fly straight. You can come to him in your broken, battered, messy, busted, disgusted self.
and he welcomes you with open arms. I feel this specifically this morning. I'm not trying to drag this out, but I feel this specifically. I feel like some of you are here right now. You're believers, and you hear me say that, and you have all the faith in the world for the person, the man, the woman who's here who just came off of a drinking bender with a needle in their arm, sleeping with anything that'll let them sleep with it, and you're like, yeah, Jesus will welcome you back. And in the same breath, in the same thought, you're thinking, but I screwed up this week, and he's mad at me. Come on, his grace was enough for you when you started the journey, and his grace is enough for you today. I don't care what your week looked like. You could have had the best week where you you did so good. You only flipped off like three people on the road this week. Last week it was like 40. This week it was only like three. He loves you. You could have fallen off the wagon, jacked up your entire life, disappointed everybody in your life, messed everything up. He loves you. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient to forgive you. Listen to me. His grace is sufficient to free you. And his grace is sufficient to form you into who he has called you to be. Shared this last week. I'm going to share it again. God loves you as you are. Brennan Manning, God loves you as you are, not as you should be. Finish the rest of the line. He died before he could learn this part. He also loves you enough. He loves you as you are, not as you should be. And he loves you to make you into who you are called to be, not leave you where you are now. It's all by his love. It's all by his grace. So if you're here, you, 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 you want to stand with somebody here. Maybe some of this is speaking to you. It's stirring some stuff up in your heart. Down in this section back here, this lit section behind the chairs, we're going to have a team of people that would love the opportunity to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you, you want to start this journey, start this relationship with Jesus, start following after him. Maybe you're here and some of what I've shared this morning is stirring at your heart. You need to rest in him. Maybe you need to begin to follow him. Whatever it might be, they'd love to pray with you. So as we respond, as we take some time here, I want to encourage you to do some work with the Holy Spirit this morning. I believe as a, as a, as a house, as a company of people, God is calling us into some things. He wants to work in us before he works through us. So I'm going to pray and we're going to respond. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for your presence here with us. God, I thank you that you have not abandoned us. And Lord, I ask that you would begin to just stir our hearts. For those that need rest, that you would draw them into rest. For those that need to to begin to walk, to begin to follow you, God, that, that you would strengthen them in these moments, that you would show them not only the exhaustion, but the energy that comes from walking in obedience. For those who are far from you that need to begin to lay their their, their lives down to follow you, God, that you would grant them repentance and faith. That you would move in this house so that you can move through this house. That the world might know the reality of your good and saving grace. The world might hear the message that a good and gracious God has made a way. Church, let's respond to the Lord.